You know, it makes a difference when we come under the authority of God's word. Now, I I say that because there are many people I know who are Christians or, you know, they believe in Jesus, but they haven't come under the authority of the Bible. And they're still questioning, well, why did he say this? And what does that mean? And why should I do that? And they pick and choose what they want to cooperate with and what they want to obey in the word of God. Now, lest you think I'm making this up, I remember being um, my first year of college at a Christian college, having a Bible professor, a New Testament professor, who didn't believe in the authority of the word of God. And he picked the passages. You know, one time I asked him, I said, so then what can we believe? Well, you'd have to talk to me about that. In fact, every time he talked, it sounded like he was rolling marbles around in his mouth. Like, well, you would have to talk to me about. And I said, so that means I have to be dependent on you to know what parts of the word of God I can believe and what parts I can adhere to and obey. I, he was wrong. Should I just say that? He was wrong. You need to obey the whole thing. I have talked to many people who for one reason or for another do not live, even though they believe in Jesus, under the authority of God's word. They are afraid to live under the full authority of God's word because they know their lives will be altered or changed and they don't really want their lives altered or changed. Some of them are just comfortable with where things are. Other people have different goals than those in the Bible. Well, you know, I really don't want to, you know, be a missionary, be in some type of ministry or, you know, have the Lord interfere with my relationships or be unpopular with my family. Others, um, whenever the Bible veers from cultural values, they override the Bible. And others, their personal desire, or let's say it, their lust, are in conflict with what the Bible says. And so they want to pick and choose the passages that they will obey. Well, there's a problem with that because what happens when you chip away at a rock? You end up with sand. And there's not a foundation. Those who are not under the authority of the Bible never walk in the productivity of the promises of God's word. You know, they they never have God's word. They never see it come true and it's blessing in their lives. They never know the goodness of God's will for their life. They never experience the full sense of the forgiveness of their sins. And they never have their lives fully transformed and defined by God's word. When we were in our leadership meeting, um, Ellie was talking and Ellie is a, a pharmacologist. And she said, yes. She said, you know, we have a lot of people that are sick and they buy the medicine and they never get better because they just carry it around in their purse and they don't take it. Well, obviously that's not going to work, right? And you might say, well, I've got the bottle. This is the antidote and I've got it. I carry it with me. Why isn't it working? This antidote doesn't work. Well, you have to take it. And then she said, the problem with these people taking it is they don't follow the instructions. I don't want to take three of these a day. One, I only have time for one a day. Don't make me take three. In fact, I see some nurses in here and I know who you are and they're laughing like I've dealt with those people. And, you know, then they come and they say, well, the medicine doesn't work. Did you do it according to the instructions? But you know what? They didn't want to come under the authority of the instructions and the medication. They wanted to have it, but to do it their way. And and guess what? It doesn't work. You never get better. You don't see how good the medicine is, how effective it can be. You're never healed. And, you know, you're not transformed by the medication. In the same way, God's word, in order to have its full beneficial effects, its full range of power in us, we need to come under the authority of God's word. God said it. I believe it. Therefore, it's going to order my life. Last week, we talked about how Jesus himself, the son of God, God's word incarnate 
was under the authority of the will, the ways, and the word of his father. I always do those things that please my father. Jesus is the very word of God. According to John 1.14, he's God's word made flesh. He is the visible of the invisible word of God. He not only spoke the word of God, he is the word of God. His person is God's word incarnate. And when Jesus spoke to those who heard him, they noted the authority of his word. We, we learned this last week. Those in Nazareth, they saw that it was unique. They, they bore witness. They marveled. They were astonished. Yet, we see in Nazareth that they resisted coming under the authority of God's word. In my personal devotions this morning, I'm in Mark. And I was reading that same passage about Nazareth. And it said that Jesus could do no great work except for he laid his hands on a few and healed them. And do you think he, only these few that he touched felt the power of all that his word was meant to do because the rest wouldn't come under the authority of his word. And they missed out and were told that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. I mean, here he is, the son of God, coming with such power and help and blessing. And they're resisting because they do not want to come under the authority of the word of God. It's a different story as we look, as we look at Luke. As we look at Luke chapter 5, what we're going to see, and you can almost juxtapose it with with what we studied last year, last year, last week, in chapter four of the unbelief when they refused to come under the authority. And now we're going to see what happens when men come under the authority of Jesus' word. Now, it's interesting because our first, our first portion, Luke chapter five, verses one through 11, we're gonna see someone who reluctantly comes under the authority of God's word. Have you ever been reluctant? Like submit, if you're a wife, have you ever been reluctant? Don't lie to me, we're in church. In fact, Brian was dropping me off this morning and I was, I was reminding him of this time. It was three weeks ago, I really wanted him to get our car fixed because I hate the sign that says service due. And he says, ignore that sign, it's like, I'm not ignoring the sign when it says service due. And he said, I just took it in. He doesn't have the computer to make that service due sign go away. He's a great guy. He goes to our church. Forget the service due sign. And I said, no, service is due. He goes, Cheryl, it hasn't been a year yet. And I'm like, uh-huh, it has. I just saw the bell yesterday. And he looked at me and goes, you're lying. And I was. <laughs> but I wouldn't say, okay, I am. Because... And and the Holy Spirit was on me. Like, you know you lied. He knows you lied. I know you lied. And I'm like, uh-uh. And I'm like, so what do I do? I'm pulling all the bills out for the last year, trying to find one bill. And he's like, yeah, and you knew, because you just saw it yesterday. I've got bills, like, flying all over the house. I mean, it's getting more and more obvious. As I was reading in the Psalms yesterday, when I did not confess, your hand was heavy upon me. <laughs> and I told Brian in the car this morning, you know, finally, I'm like, I lied. He goes, duh. <laughs> it, was, it was so obvious. But, you know, what is it in us that's reluctant to come under the authority of the word of God? We've all got it. I'm not alone in here, okay? And I'm not going down alone. We've all got that thing. We've all got it. And I was marveling at the, my, my own deceitful heart if I give it room. Okay, let's get on because I could talk all day about how bad I am. So Peter, I love Peter. Doesn't Peter give you hope all the time? Like, thank God there's a Peter in the gospel. Thank God that Jesus chose Peter because we all have a little bit of Peter in us. So Peter had been fishing all night long. 
all night long with no productivity. He had been using tried and true methods, those passed down to him, those developed over years of experience, those based on education about the Galilee and the fish that swam in the Galilee. And he was so, so tired. He had thrown, all night long, thrown in these heavy nets, heaving them over the side of his boat with the cooperation of others. These are heavy, heavy nets. Throwing them over. I mean, these nets themselves, and, and even when they're empty, but the water pole, I mean, you're talking 100 pounds. Throwing it in. Okay, just a side note. My son-in-law, he does this um, weight training thing, and he told me I have to lift weights or I'm going to lose it. And he told me I need to do like a, um, what do you call it, a kettlebell of 15 pounds. I'm like, no way. I got one. I was like, no, I'm not doing this. So I got a five pound and it's working out really well. <laughs> but that hundred pounds, can you imagine heaving that over the side of the ship, letting it go down, waiting for any movement, pulling it up, heaving it back in. And all they're finding is the debris of the sea of Galilee. No fish. And you know, that sense of throwing it in and expectancy, like maybe this time. That's how I feel when I lift that five pounds. Maybe this time. And checking their nets, and they're absolutely empty. Then going and trolling the shore of the Galilee just a little further in a different spot that's always worked out before, heaving the nets over again into the sea, letting them go down, then waiting, then bringing them back up, and nothing. Over and over again, nothing. In fact, Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. To have your hope disappointed over and over again. And the morning dawns, and Peter says to the guys, that's a night. Let's just give up. Let's just pull into shore. He pulls into the shore, and he just starts cleaning the nets, getting everything out of them, all the, all the debris, all that he's picked up in the sea. And he mends them because they're, they're torn. Might as well mend them, get them all clean. And Jesus commandeers Peter's boat and says, Peter, I need to speak from your boat. I want your boat. I need to talk to it. Now, Mark tells us one of the reasons Jesus commandeered the boat is because the people were pressing in so much that they would have crushed him. And Jesus needed to put a distance between him and the people because not all of them wanted to hear. They just wanted to crush him with their need. And so he puts this distance and he begins to speak to the people. And when he's finished teaching, he says to Peter, Peter, launch out into the deep. It's almost like, thanks for letting me use your boat. Now I'm going to reward you. Launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch of fish. And Peter looks at Jesus. Now, he's just gotten the nets mended. You know what that feels like? You've just scrubbed the floor. And guests want to visit you. And they've just been to the beach. And they want to come up. You ever have that? Or you just get the dishes done. And your kids come in and say, I'm hungry. No, you're not hungry. It's your imagination. You just see a clean kitchen. And, and this thought comes to you. Food. Or you just get the laundry done. And you call upstairs and realize that people have taken like 30 showers and just put the towels in a pile. You know that feeling? He's just mended his nets. It's like, please, they're clean now. I'm just going to let him set. I, I'm used to this. I'm, I'm ready for this. But, he's, but he looks at Jesus, and I believe there's something in the eye contact. Because this is what he says, nevertheless, even though I'm a fisherman, even though I know these seas, even though I've done it right, there was nothing wrong with Peter's methodology. Not one thing wrong with the way he had done it or when he had done it or where he had done it. Not one thing wrong. Not one thing wrong. And he says, Lord, I, I've done it. But nevertheless, at your word, at your word. 
So Peter's reluctant because he thinks he knows better. He knows the Sea of Galilee. He knows what words of Jesus are going to work and what words of Jesus aren't going to work. But nevertheless, I think Peter lunched out in the deep just to show Jesus that this doesn't work. But guess what? Under the authority of Jesus' word, the nets were filled with fish. So much fish that they had to call another boat. And they, as they were trying to heave these nets up, the boat began to sink and list. So they had to get the other boat to help them drag this net in. And when Peter sees this catch of fish, he realizes this is absolutely divine. This is unique. This has never happened before in the history of the Galilee. He recognizes at this point that Jesus is divine. Maybe this is when the revelation came to him. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Because he goes and he falls at Jesus' feet. And he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. In other words, he said, I'm not the type you're looking for. I'm not what you want. But it's because he's not right for the job that Jesus says, you're exactly what I want. Follow me and I will make you fish for men. Because it's not about your expertise. It's not about the methodology. It's about coming under the authority of the word of Jesus. That's what makes the difference. That's what brings productivity. It's coming under the authority of Jesus. Next we see that he forsakes everything to come under the authority of Jesus. Everything to come under the authority of the word of Jesus. What he's saying is none of that matters. None of that is going to provide or bring productivity to my life. It's the word of God coming under that authority. In verses 12 through 15, we see that coming under the authority of God's word brings the revelation that God's will is good and it's for our cleansing. You see, there are a lot of Christians who are never fully cleansed. They're never cleansed of anger or evil thoughts or greed or selfishness or resentment because they do not come under the authority of the word of God. Now, maybe you're saying, wait, 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 Cheryl, I'm under the authority of the word of God. But I still, at times, struggle with anger and evil thoughts and greed and selfishness and resentment. Yes, you struggle. You see, before they were the inhabitants, but now they're the intruders. Now they're foreigners that need to be shown to the door before they used to be the residents. When we come under the authority of God's word, We are cleansed, thoroughly cleansed. In this event, this episode, we see this leper who is absolutely mangled with leprosy. We're told he was full of leprosy. Leprosy would eat the nerves away first, and then body parts would just fall off. Their flesh was literally rotting on their body and their bones, too. Lepers had a stench. They not only were repulsive to look at, but there was a stench, the smell of death, of rotting flesh. They would have to pronounce themselves unclean. People would cover their mouths and their noses because lepers were also very, very infectious. And nobody knew how it was spread. And here is this leper coming to Jesus full of leprosy, he falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I love, I love Jesus' response because he not only reaches out and touches this repulsive, almost inhuman looking thing, this man, and he says, I am willing 
be cleansed. You see, the will of God is for you. It's in your best interest. I was reading in Psalm 32 in the NLT just the other day, where in verse 8, where God says, I will choose the best path for your life. Your life is hard. And God says, you know what? I'm going to choose the best life for you. God's will for us is good. And it's for our cleansing. He doesn't want these things like anger and greed and evil thoughts and selfishness and resentment staying in us because they are not our friends. They are not helps to us. But there are many believers who hold on to these things and do not come under the authority of the word of God because they do not believe that the will of God is in their best interest. They don't believe it's good. They are afraid if they give up anger or evil thoughts or greed or selfishness or resentment or unforgiveness, that their lives will be vulnerable, vulnerable to hurt and to pain. They're also afraid that their lives might be boring. There are some people that actually like anger, evil thoughts, greed, selfishness, and resentment. Christians who love to get angry at other Christians and have a cause. Why? Because they haven't come under the authority of the word of God. Because they think they're the authority. Not the word of God that says love one another. And it's by your love that all men will know you're my disciples. But the leper who came under the authority of Jesus' word found cleansing, absolute cleansing. His posture when he went at the feet of Jesus showed his readiness to give Jesus' word, Jesus' will, the authority in his life. Jesus then tells this leper to go and show himself to the priest. The priest would be the ultimate test and inspection and the judge of whether the cleansing was thorough or not. And Jesus is saying, my work, what my word does can stand the scrutiny and the judgment because my word thoroughly cleanses. We're told in 1 John chapter 1 that the blood of Christ cleanses a man from every sin. We used to sing a song, what can make me white as snow? Let's do it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Thoroughly cleansing. As we come under the word of God, the authority of God's word, we experience that cleansing work. We bring those thoughts captive to the Lord Jesus Christ and they're escorted out the door. Again, they're not the residents. They're the intruders. We're told that Jesus in verse 16 often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Isn't it interesting that the place that had been the confrontation with Satan now became the place of communion with his father? Such a victory. Such a victory because Jesus walked under the authority of the word of God. Next, we find in verses 16 through 26, the authority of Jesus' word to forgive sins. So what have we seen it? Coming under the authority gives us productivity. Coming under the authority, the blessing, the promises fulfilled, coming under the authority of Jesus Christ assures us of the cleansing work of God. So we're not trying to atone for our own sins, but now coming under the authority of Jesus. Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Those who do not come under the authority of Jesus' word never experience the full assurance of being forgiven of their sins. I know many believers who walk around in condemnation, not really believing that God has forgiven them everything, everything. I know believers that are still trying to atone for their past and things that they've done. I know believers that are constantly confessing their sins, others that are berating themselves because of sin. 
others who are always punishing themselves and putting themselves under self-inflicted burdens and laws and rituals for the simple reason that they do not realize because they are not under the full authority of the word of God that they are absolutely forgiven. Let me say this. This paralytic that we're about to talk about did nothing to warrant his forgiveness. He was helpless. You have done nothing to warrant your forgiveness, but become helpless before Jesus. So let's go to a certain house in Capernaum. Now, first of all, I love how Luke says that the presence of the Lord was there to heal them. The potential in that house for forgiveness and cleansing and healing was strong. But there were many there who did not receive any of the benefits, the productivity of Jesus, who were not cleansed and who were not forgiven for the simple reason that they would not come under the authority of Jesus' word. Instead, they stood on the periphery judging and critiquing Jesus rather than receiving. They didn't believe that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. The room was brimming with potential because of Jesus' presence. But those in the room crowding in around Jesus were not benefiting from the authority of Jesus' word. And they were keeping out those who would and could benefit from the authority of Jesus' word. Suddenly, as Jesus is teaching in this crowded room, and we're told that those from Judea and Jerusalem, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious elite, are all in the room critiquing, judging, trying to find just one iota of fault with what Jesus is doing. That as he's teaching, all of a sudden, can you imagine being in that room and going, is that dust? What is going on? As, as the dust and the debris, and you know, this is Israel. This is a roof. Now, in those days, in biblical times, that roof would have been where you hang your laundry to dry. It would have been where you socialized at night. And it would have been where you slept in the summer because it was cooler. I mean, it's a substantial roof. In fact, we're told there was tiling. They're taking the tiles off the roof. And you know that that's causing debris to fall in the room. And you know what the dust factor is? Have you ever been in a place where construction is going on and there's dust? It, I mean, sorry, don't you just like it that those scribes and judges are like, oh, my eyes, you know? As daylight begins to stream into the room, these four, these men on the roof, I, we think four men because of four sides to a bed, but it could have been two. We're not told how many. Yes, we are. We're told to mark it was four men, sorry. They lower their friend down in front of Jesus. So, you know, as you're there and the dust is in the room, down comes this mat with this paralytic man. Do you imagine how he felt? So vulnerable, like thanks a lot. I mean, seriously, You're, I can't do anything. Please don't do this. Please, this is a bit, hi, hello. I, uh, I can talk, but I can't really move. Uh, yeah, friends, there they are. If you look close through the debris, you'll see them up there smiling down at Jesus. You know, people had to move, get out of the way to let this man come right in front of Jesus. And as the friends are in expectancy because they knew they needed, they knew they needed this, they knew their, the paralytic needed Jesus. They knew nothing else would work. They were so desperate. They were going to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. Then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Can you imagine? They're like, wait, no, 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 no. Healing, healing. We want him to walk. We want his arms to move. Healing. You know, Jesus got the wrong memo. We should have put it on, you know, post a note on his head. Heal. Make him walk. But, you know, forgiveness of sins. But you see what Jesus says is intentional. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. You know, as we read this, we're like, oh, if he didn't do that sin thing, maybe the scribes and Pharisees would have listened. 
He just got him so upset when he said the sin thing. But every word of God is intentional. When you go through the Bible, every word is intentional. That's why you can go to Strong's Concordance and look it up in the Hebrew or the Greek, and it's brimming with even more meaning. Every word of God. In fact, we're told in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed all scripture. And it's profitable for doctrine and for reproof and instruction and correction that the man of God, woman of God, might be thoroughly equipped. Every word is intentional. That's why we need to come under the authority of the whole Bible, under its authority. So Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And immediately in that room, the religious elite began to go, forgiveness of sins. Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus goes, glad you made the connection. He said, which is easier for me to say? Your sins be forgiven? I mean, or take up your bed and walk. I mean, if I said take up your bed and walk, you would think of me as a healer. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Now watch this. Take up your bed and walk. And the man took up his bed and walked, and they all glorified God because you know what was realized in that room? That the Son of Man, that Jesus Christ, has power on earth to forgive sins. Every sin. Every single sin, but the sin of rejecting Jesus can be forgiven. Every single sin. But when you refuse the medicine and to take the medicine, how can you expect the medicine to bring about your healing or to kill the bacteria if you don't take the medication? That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The refusal to take the antidote provided by God for our sins, which is Jesus Christ on the cross, his blood. Jesus has authority on earth to forgive sin thoroughly, completely. And he proved that authority. But it's not until we come under the authority of God's word that we can reckon all our sins on the cross, nailed with Jesus, because you know what? The Bible reminds us again and again and again that our sins are forgiven. Though your sins be as crimson, I will make them as white as snow. This is what Jesus does. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness over and over again. But unless you're under the authority of the whole word of God, you will never know. Now, let me just pause for a moment before we finish up the study with our last point. You might think this morning that your need is provision financially. You might think that your need is healing physically. You might, you know, you might think that that person out there, that their need is to be in a heterosexual lifestyle. You might think that's their need, but let me tell you, the need of every person is the forgiveness of sins. Because you drink of any other water, you supply that need, and tomorrow there's going to be greater gaping need. The need is forgiveness of sins and coming under the authority of the word of God. Once you come under the authority of God, everything else, God's word, everything else gets taken care of. It's all there. Once you come under the authority of God's word, the power to be forgiven of sins and and the power to be cleansed daily, the power not to give in to sin, that power is all as we walk in the authority of God's word. Now, moving on. It is only as we are under the authority of God's word that we will experience the transforming power of his word. Now we're going to go into verses 29 through 39. This is where we're going to wrap it up. 
because it is only as we are under the authority of God's word. I'm going to look like on a tape that I'm swimming if this doesn't have words because I keep doing this. I feel myself. It's that kettlebell. It's only under the authority that we will experience a transformation. You see, if you say, well, I want this, but I don't want that, you'll never be transformed by the word of God. It tells us in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is our mind renewed? When we come under the authority of the word of God. And until we're under the authority of the word of God, we won't have that transforming effect. We won't look any different than the world. There's meant to be a transforming effect. And we see that transforming effect on Levi, who was a tax collector, was, past tense, he was of the most hated profession in Israel. As a Jew who worked for the Romans, he was judged by his countrymen as unredeemable betrayer. Now, they could see outwardly that the leper had problems, but this was a deeper problem, unseen, but still rejected. And Jesus saw Levi, who is also Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew. He saw him sitting at his office and Jesus called him. And Levi immediately followed Jesus. Immediately, he came under the authority of Jesus' word and call. Now, what we see immediately is Matthew experiences a transformation in name even. He's gone from Levi to Matthew. He's had a change in office. He's gone from collecting taxes to following Jesus Christ. He's had a transformation in what he, in what he does, or what his desires are before to get from people. Now under Jesus, he wants to give to people. And we see this man who used to collect, throw a huge banquet to feed people and to introduce them to Jesus Christ because he knows that what Jesus has done for him, this transforming effect, can happen to any tax collector and suddenly there is hope for every tax collector in Israel. Those who have been rejected, those who have been without hope, those who could never, ever expect to see God or to have the promises of God fulfilled in their life, all of a sudden there is hope through Jesus, the Messiah. So Matthew throws this huge feast and tax collectors and sinners come. The room is filled with tax collectors and sinners. In fact, the Pharisees stand on the outside going, what's going on in there? Why, why, is, why is your master eating with tax collectors and sinners? What's going on there? Jesus, I love this. Jesus doesn't even let his disciples answer. He's like, let me handle this. Don't come to my defense. I'll defend myself. And he says, those who are sick need a physician. But those are well don't need one because it's only the sick that realize they're sick and go to the doctor. We're back to the medicine, aren't we again? If you don't realize you're sick, you won't take the medication. In fact, Jim Henson, who made the Muppets, he didn't take the medication because he didn't think he was that sick. He thought he only had the cold or a flu and he didn't realize that his lung was being eaten away by this bacteria, and he died. You know, if we don't recognize we're sick, we feel we have no need of the physician. The church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter three that Jesus addressed, Jesus said to them, you know what? You're blind and you're impoverished and you're sick, but you think you're rich and in need of nothing. You don't know your condition. And because you don't know your condition, because you're not under the authority of the word, you're lukewarm. You're not going to derive any benefits from the word of God. It's, it's when we're desperate, when we're sick, 
that we come under the full authority of the word of God and realize how desperately we need the word of God. You know, mercy means more to me when I recognize how much I need it, when I've sinned, when I've lied to Brian about a bill concerning the car, and I realize I am such a sinner. Then the mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God means so much more to me. When I am needy, when I'm under attack, it's when the songs that he's a deliverer, you know, he's the lion of Judah and he's roaring in power. He's fighting our battles. It's like, yeah. But if I'm not going through any battles, I'm like, oh my, what an aggressive picture. I like the lamb. (laughs) Right now I'm into the lion. And I'm not lying this time. I gave that one up. There's a transformation only when we recognize. There's a healing only when we recognize. The Pharisees then question the practices of Jesus. Like John's disciples, they fast. How come your disciples don't fast? Now this is where it gets really good. I love this part because Jesus responds first by telling them that he is the objective of every fast. You know why you fast? You fast to hear my word, to get direction from me. I'm the reason for the fast. Now, if you can see me and I'm speaking to you, you don't need to fast. You need to obey and come under the authority of that word. But you fast to hear And to get directives that you might obey. And Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom. I'm the reason. I'm the cause for the feast. I'm the celebrant of the feast. You don't fast at a wedding. You feast at a wedding. I'm here. It's the time for feasting because I am present. Then Jesus explains to them that he has not come to patch old garments or put new wine into old wineskins. You see, Jesus has come to totally transform. He has come with totally new garments and he's come with new wineskins to hold the new wine that he has given There are those, when you're not under the authority of the word of God, you know what you want? You want Jesus as an accessory, a necklace, a bracelet, but not the authority, not the master. You want him to improve your life, enhance you, adorn you, make you look nicer, a better person, a more moral person. But that's not what Jesus has come to do. He has come to transform. He he hasn't come to patch the old garment. He's come to give you a new garment. He hasn't come to fill your old rotting wineskin with his new wine so you can keep that old wineskin. Absolutely not. He's come to give you a whole new wineskin. He has come to transform, to absolutely turn your life upside down. He has not come as a patch or a band-aid, a quick fix, a refreshment, or an accessory. In fact, I'm going to warn you about something. If you try to use Jesus as a patch for your life, if you try to fill that old wineskin with new wine, (laughs) your life is going to get worse. It is. Have you met people who give their life to the Lord and they go, it's worse. Yeah, because you're not under the authority of the word of God. You see, until you come under the authority of the word of God, it's going to get worse. Your old garment is going to tear apart. It's going to be shredded and you're going to feel naked and cold and vulnerable to the elements. Your wineskin is going to burst and spill all that new wine. It's going to be wasted because Jesus, his word is meant to transform you completely, to change everything. Absolutely everything. You see, we will never know this incredible transforming power of becoming, of leaving Levi and becoming Matthew until we come under the authority of God's word. Completely under the authority of God's word. 
honestly, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, I don't want this scripture right now because it's so convicting, so absolutely convicting. You know, one of those ones like love your enemies. You like that one? Are you sadistic? Yeah, what about the one if they ask for your coat, give them your tunic. You like that one? Or if they ask you to go to a mile, go an extra mile. You like that one? Maybe today, right now, try it tomorrow. You know, I, I, sometimes when I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm like, I don't like this. My flesh rebels against this. But you know what? I go, God, you override my flesh and I will right now with everything in me to come under the authority of your word because you are right. And what you say is right. So you need to work in me to will and to do of your own good pleasure. I submit my will to yours and I bring myself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ right now. I'll never forget. I didn't have much money with me. I was on this, this ride. The, the guy who was driving me was a Turk. He wasn't even a Christian. He was a Muslim. He told me the first thing when I got in his van that he was a Muslim. And the Lord said to me, I want you to go to an ATM machine and I want you to pull out X amount of money and I want you to give it to this man. And that morning I had read this scripture that talked about the 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 servant, that when his master said, um, uh, you're fired, he went and he went to all the debtors of his master and he reduced their debt. And Jesus said, I commend him for this, that he used unrighteous mammon to make a place for him after the job was over. And he said, use unrighteous mammon for eternal purposes. I read that this morning. I didn't know I'd be tested on it right then because I, I actually like having money in my wallet. I like the feeling. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I like money. I don't like credit cards or debit cards. I like money. I, I just like, I like, it's pretty. It's got those, you know, presidents on it and then Ben Franklin. I don't know how he got in there, but it, there he is. I, I, I rarely see him, but when I do, I just want to keep him in my wallet as long as possible. And here's the Lord telling me, give this guy. Remember how I told you this morning? I want you to give this guy money. I want you to come under the authority. So I got the money. I set it aside. I said, okay, God. He turns to me while he's driving me. And this is um, during an ice storm. He turns to me and he says, are you a praying woman? Uh, and I'm like, uh, yes. What were you doing up here? I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book on faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, then you do pray. Yes, I do. I have a praying Roman who lives next door to me. And he tells me this woman's testimony and um, how she was a foreigner and this church took her in and how she gave her life to Jesus and how she prays and spends all day just praying and how she prays for him every time he goes out on a trip and he can feel the prayer. And he said, she's with my wife right now praying. He says, I'm a Muslim, but I like those prayers. I feel something when she prays. He said, are you praying? I said, yes. He goes, I can feel it. I'm like, great. <laughs> so at the end, when he gets me to the airport, I hand him the money that the Lord told me to give him. And he looks at me and he says, Jesus bless you. Jesus. Jesus bless you. Jesus bless you. And he gets my luggage. He insists on carrying it all the way into the airport. And he looks at me one more time. He goes, Jesus bless you. Jesus. And as he said the name of Jesus, this light came into his eyes. I kid you not. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, see? <laughs> Told you so. Coming under the authority of the word of God. Productivity. Coming under the authority of the word of God cleansing, coming under the authority of the word of God, that assurance of forgiveness, coming under the authority of the word of God, that transforming power. Dear sisters, take your medicine according to the directions. 
that you might experience the productivity, the cleansing and goodness, the forgiveness and assurance of forgiveness and transforming power of the word of God come under the authority. Let's stand up. Thank you for praying. I already feel so much better. I know it's God. Thank you. I mean, I can't even believe I just did that. That I mean, I didn't, Jesus. So good. Watch me. Watch me get sick when I hit the office. Let me pray over you. Lord Jesus, again, I, what a pleasure, what a privilege to present to you your precious daughters. Oh, Lord Jesus, they are lovely. They are beautiful. Lord, you know everything they're going through. You know their desperation, their need. You know their desires. You know their hopes. And Lord, maybe there's some of them that feel like all they've been doing lately is heaving those nets into the water and pulling them back in the boat. They've been using methodologies and experience and education and nothing's working. And Lord, they need your productivity. Lord, give them that word and let them come under the authority of that word. Lord, these are your daughters, and some of them, Lord, um, need to be cleansed. They need to recognize that anger and that resentment and that selfishness and that greed and those things as intruders, Lord, and not residents. Bring them under the authority of your word that they might feel a cleansing and not take, um, not let these foreigners spend the night or give them any lodging. Lord, these are your precious daughters, and some of them, Lord, Lord, are under condemnation, still haven't fully realized how forgiven they are, still haven't realized the grace that is theirs and the joy of the grace that is theirs. Lord, they're still lying on the mat, and they didn't realize that they can stand up, that everything they need to stand up and pick up that mat and go walking right out that door is already given to them. Lord, Bring them under the authority of your word that they might have that assurance of absolute forgiveness, that it's over, it's done, it's finished. Lord, these are your precious daughters, and some of them just need that transforming effect, or they know those who need that transforming effect. Lord, help us to bring the sick to you, and Lord, help us to receive that transformation in our life and to come under that authority of the word of God. Lord, work in this. Lord, may we not bring anything to anyone else but Jesus and his word that others might be attracted and come under the authority of that glorious, good, productive, cleansing, forgiving, and transforming word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.